Chapter 24 of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 24 Harrow. A strange thing befell me on my way home, which I would have avoided describing if I could, for my adventures have but little interest except so far as they are concerned with Kitty. But this one unluckily did concern her deeply, inasmuch as it brought great affliction on her and left her without my assistance at a time when she stood in special need of it. She had made me promise that I would not attempt to walk all the way to Sunbury in such a bitter night, and with the storm increasing, till no one could tell what might come of it. Accordingly I made my way to Notting Hill, intending to get an omnibus there, which would take me at least as far as Richmond. There I meant to have a mutton-chop or two, and perhaps a pint of mort-like ale, which is generally of good substance, and thus be set up for the cold walk home, and if this had been done as was really intended, probably I might have been at home in good time to tell my uncle all about it before he had finished his go-to-bed pipe. But as it happened, when I came out at last from all this brick-and-mortar skittle-ground into the broad western road, and knew pretty well where I was and how the land lay, not an omnibus was to be found anywhere except those that had travelled out before the storm began, and were bound to get home again somehow, and these had some trouble getting along, with the snow clouding up the horses' faces and forming great balls on their feet and clogging the dumb, heavy roll of frozen wheels. All the buses that should have been ploughing and rolling towards Shepherd's Bush and Turnham Green had resolved to remain in their yards for the night, let other horses tug and wallow and smoke like beds of mortar, let other coachmen flap their breasts and scowl instead of answering, and let other three-penny fares look blue and stamp in the straw to thaw their toes. It was worth much more than the money would fetch to cross their legs by the tap-room fire or whisk their tails in stable. At first I took it as a wholesome joke that the fourteen miles of road before me must be overcome by toe and heel, as for a cab, I had never been inside any feminine bandbox of that name, and if I would have condescended to it, there was no such thing to be got to-night. I was young and strong and full of spirit, with the sweet words kindling in my heart as memory stirred it from time to time, and if anyone had bidden me look out for danger, I should have said, Let me see it first, and in this humor I strode on, without even turning my collar up, but the world became wrapped up more and more in deep white darkness as I trudged on. As the houses along the road grew scarcer, they seemed to go by me more heavily and slowly, and with less and less power of companionship. There was scarcely a man to say good-night to, and the one or two that I met would not open mouth to answer. And when I came through a great open space with a white spire standing like a giant's ghost, I could hardly be sure that it was Turnham Green, so entirely was distance huddled up with snow. But I ran into a white thing in the middle of the road, and the gleam of an ostler's lantern showed me that it was a brewer's dray, with the horses taken out and standing with their heads between their legs close by a signpost. "'You better turn in, mate,' the ostler shouted. "'You're a fool if you go further such a night as this.' I saw a red steam in the bar and knew that this must be the old pack-horse inn, whose landlord had raised a famous apple, 
and my better sense told me to follow advice. But the bride of fool's strength drove me on, and without slacking a foot I lost sight of it in the solid days. There was nothing to be afraid of yet, and I felt no kind of misgiving, but began to let my legs go on instead of walking consciously. At one time I began to count as if they were a machine, of which I was no longer master. I counted up to a thousand, and thought, about seven thousand more will do it, and that they can manage without much trouble. And then I gave up counting, and I must have passed through Brentford as in a dream, and so to Twickenham, and through that again. There were nearer ways and better weather, but although I could not think clearly now, through cold and clogging feet and constant drizzle of white fall around me, I had sense enough to stick to highways as long as they would stick to me. At Twickenham I had a mind to stop and get something to eat, being faint with hunger, for I had seven and sixpence in my waistcoat pocket. I cannot tell why I did not stop, and only know that I went on. The snow must have been ten inches deep on the level, and as many feet in the drifts, for a strong wind urged it fiercely. When I came at last to the bear at Hanworth, an old established and good hotel. The principal entrance was snowed up from the sweep of the roads that met there, for every road running east and west was like a cannon exploding snow. But I went in by the little door round the corner and finding only the barman there, for all neighbors had been glad to get home while they could, I contrived with some trouble to ask for a glass of hot brandy and water. So great was the change from the storm and the whirl that my brain seemed to beat like a flail in a barn, and the chairs were all standing on the ceiling. "'Don't you go no further, sir. You stop here,' said the man who seemed to know me, though I did not know him. "'It would take a male elephant to get to Sunbury tonight. There's been no such snow for six and forty year. Old Jim the ostler can call it to mind. And then it was over the roof, he saith. You look uncommon queer already, seem to be standing on your head almost. Why, bless me, you be drinking from the empty glass. But I found the right glass with his help, and swallowed the hot brown draught without knowing it. Then I asked him the time, and he said, Nigh on ten o'clock. You take my advice, and have a bed here. Well, willful will, and willful won't, when it's too late to mend it. He cast this at me as I said, Good night and without sitting down, staggered out again. I believe that even now I should have reached home safely, not having so very much further to go, if the roads had been wide and straight as they were thus far. But two things were very much against me now, and both of them made a great difference. I had turned from the main road into twisting narrow lanes, and my course was across the wind instead of right before it. Without that strong wind at my back, I could scarcely have reached Hanworth by that time, though it seemed a very long time to take from Notting Hill, compared with the usual rate of walking. But now the fierce wind was on my left side quite as often as behind me, and it drove me from my lane, as I grew more feeble, and knocked my weary legs into one another. Moreover, it seemed to go through me twice as much, and to rattle me like splinters shaken up, and to drive the spikes of snow into my heart almost. If I had walked as in a dream before, I was moving as in a deep sleep now. I had some sort of sense of going on forever, as a man has a knowledge of his own snoring, 
and I have some weak remembrance of beating with my hands, for my stick must have gone away long ago, to keep off a blanket that was smothering me. Then I seemed to be lifted and set down somewhere, and it did not matter where it was, and what happened after that was not to me, but to people who told me of it afterwards. For my Uncle Corney went to bed that night in a very bad worry of mind, and fitter to grumble at the Lord than to say his prayers. Not from anxiety about his nephew, who was sure to turn up somehow, but because he had frightful misgivings about his glass, and his trees, and his premises at large. The roof of his long vinery was buckled in already, when he went with a lantern to look at it, and many of his favorite apple trees which he loved to go and gaze at on a Sunday were bowed with the wind and the snow, and hanging in draggles like so much mistletoe. He never swore much at the weather, because it seemed like swearing at heaven, and he had found it grow worse under that sort of treatment. But our Tabby Tapscott, who feared to go home and tried to sleep on two chairs in the kitchen, declared that he used some expressions that night, which were quite enough to account for anything. In the morning, however, there was no fault to find with him. As soon as he had done a good hour's work in the deep snow and the nipping wind, and improved his circulation by convincing everybody that he was still as young as he ever was, he relieved the laden trees, wherever it was wise to do so, and with the back of a hayrake fetched the white encumbrance from the glass, and stamped his feet and shook his coat, and had a path swept here and there, and told himself and Selsey Bill that a good old-fashioned winter was the thing to send all prices up. But when he sat down to breakfast he kept looking at the door, as if for me, and at last he said to Mrs. Tapscott, who was shaking in her apron, "'Why, where's that lazy kid again? "'Is he frozen to his pillow? "'Go and give him a good rattle up. "'He deserves cold vittles, and he shall have nothing else.' "'It bain't come home,' replied Tabby, "'looking as crossly as she dared at him. "'What you care for the poor boy, master? "'I reckon the snow be his winding sheet. "'No more courtin' for he this side of kingdom come, "'I'd lay a penny. "'Kit not come home?' "'Kid out all night, and you let me go on with my trees and roofs. "'But you know where he is, or you would not take it so. "'And you snoring away by the kitchen fire. "'None of your secrets about him. Where is Kit?' "'The Lord Almighty knoweth where he be,' poor Tabby began to whine and cry. "'The secret be with him, not me. "'A word to come home, but her never did it. "'A vain job for he to take for un. "'Vained and dead is a stone, I reckon.' "'Nonsense! Kit can take care of himself. "'He is the strongest young fellow for miles and miles, "'and accustomed to all sorts of weather. "'What's a bit of snow to a young man like Kit? "'You women always make the worst of everything.' "'But her bain't come home,' answered Tabby with all reason. "'Her would have come home, if so, "'be her one drowned in the snow, I tell ye, sir. "'No more courting for Master Kit in this life.' I may do what I will when kingdom come. Stuff, cried my uncle, not caring to discuss this extreme test of my constancy. He has stopped at some house on the road or up there. Perhaps the professor would not let him go when he saw how bad the weather was. There's nothing to be done till the post comes in. 
though I am not sure that the post will be able to get in. If the letters are not here by ten o'clock, I shall go to Hampton to look for them. They are pretty sure to get that far. The morning was fine, though bitterly cold after that very heavy fall, and people began to get about again, though the drifts were too deep in many places for a carriage to pass till they had been cleared. My uncle set out on foot for Hampton, and there found the mail cart just come in. The postmaster was in a state of flurry and would not open the Sunbury bag, but sent it on by special messenger, as the cart could get no further. My uncle had the pleasure of walking with it as far as our post office, and after all that there was nothing for him. Well, a man must eat, was his sound reflection. I shall have a bit of dinner and consider what to do. It was getting on for two o'clock, as he told me, when a man who had come from the bear at Hanworth upon some particular business in our village knocked at my uncle's door on his return to say that I had forgotten, which was the truth, to pay for what I had the night before. He was also to ask how I got home, because I had looked uncommon dicky, as he beautifully expressed it. In half an hour every man in Sunbury, owning a good pair of legs and even a number of women and boys, set forth to search the roads and fields, for it was hard sometimes to tell which was which in the direction of Hanworth. This was no small proof of the goodwill and brave humanity of our neighborhood, for any of these people might have lost themselves in the numb frost and the depth of drift, and there were signs of another storm in the northeast. My uncle, with a big shovel on his shoulder and a bottle of brandy in his pocket, put a guinea upon me at first, and then two, and then jumped to five pounds, and even ten, as the hope of discovery waned and at last, when some had abandoned the search and others were muffling themselves against the new snowstorm, he mounted a gate and with both hands to his mouth shouted, Five and twenty pounds for my nephew Kit, dead or alive! Twenty-five pounds reward to anyone who finds Christopher Orcherson! This may appear a great deal of money for anybody to put me at, except my own mother, if I had one, and the people who heard it were of that opinion, none of them being aware, perhaps, that the reward would come out of my mother's property, which had no trustees to prevent it, and for many years afterwards, if I dared to think anything said or done by my uncle was anything short of perfection, the women and the men would ask, as if I were made of ingratitude, who offered five and twenty pounds for you? And they felt the effect of it now so strongly that a loud hurrah went along the white plain, and several stout fellows who were turning home turned back again and flapped themselves, saying, Never say die. With one accord a fresh pursuit began, though perhaps of a ghost whiter than the snow, and taking care to keep in sight for one another, they began to poke more holes, wherever they could poke them, for some had kidney bean sticks, and some had garden forks, and some had sharp pitchforks from the stable, and if they had found me, I had surely been riddled, and perhaps had both my eyes poked out. But the Lord was good to me once more, and I escaped being trussed as I might have been. For just when it was growing dark, and another bitter night was setting in, with spangles of hard snow driving, as they said, like a glazier's diamond into their eyes, and even the hardiest man was saying that nothing more could be done for it, through the drifting of the white and the lowering of the gray, a high-mettled horse came churning, 
It was beautiful, everybody thought, to see him scattering the snow like highway dust, flinging from his nostrils scornful volumes. With his great eyes flashing like a lighthouse in the foam, men huddled aside, lest he should spurn them like a drift, for his courage was roused and he knew no fear, but gloried in the power of his leap and plunge. "'Giving it over, are you all?' Sam Henderson shouted as he drew the rein and his favorite stallion Harrow stood and looked with a like contempt at them. "'Then a horse and dog shall shame your pluck.' From beneath a short rough cloak he wore, a pair of sharp eyes shone like jewels and two little ears pricked up the thorns. "'Spike is the best man here,' said Sam as the white acres crowded round him. "'All you have done is to spoil the track.' Keep behind me and let me see things for myself. My uncle, who had never been fond of Sam, said something disdainful and turned away, but Henderson, without even looking at him, rode on, and the best men followed him. He took them almost to the Bear Hotel, watching both sides of the road as he went, and still keeping his dog before him. Then he turned back and said, Keep you all on my left. None of you tread any gap on the right. I saw the place as I came along. When the moon gets clear, we shall find him. The snow cloud in the east began to lift, and the moon came out with a bronzy flush, as my uncle told me afterwards, and the broad expanse of snow was flickered with wan light and with gliding shades. Then all came back to the place where Sam, being mounted and able to command the slope, had discovered certain dimples for they were nothing more which might have been the trace of footsteps snowed over. Here he gave his horse to be held, and leaving the road with his little Scotch terrier spike, scooped the light surface from one of the marks and found a hard clot beneath it. He put the dog's nose in and patted them, and Spike gave a yelp as if a rat were in prospect. Let him alone. Don't say a word to him, cried Sam as our people grew eager. He don't want you to teach him his business. If you know your own half as well, there'd be less money in London than in Sunbury. Keep back, I say, all of you. The little dog led them across a broad meadow, two or three hundred yards from the highway, yet in a straighter line toward Sunbury, and nearly in the track of an old footpath. Then he stopped in a dip, where a great rise of snow like a surge of ground swell swung away from them, and combed over into the field beyond without breaking, like the ground swell frozen. They said that it was a most beautiful sight, such as they never had seen before, and could scarcely hope to see again in one lifetime, reminding them of the great waxworks, when the wax was being bleached at Teddington. But they could not stop to look at it, and the little dog went round and dived into the tunnel on the further side. Presently he yapped, as if in hot chase of a rabbit, and an active young fellow jumped through the great wave and was swallowed up, leaving his hat behind. Then they heard him crying faintly, Here he is! Come round and dig us out on this side! It is a strange thing, and I have not the smallest remembrance of having done it, but I must have dragged my frozen body through the hedge, in the cope of life with death, and got on the leeward side of a stiff bulwark of newly bill-hooked ash plant, which stopped the sweep of drift, and served to cast it like the lap of a counterpane over me. In the bottom where I lay there was scarcely any snow, but a soft bed of fallen leaves upon which they found me lying like a gatepost flung by to season. 
Dead as a doornail, said Rasp the baker. Stiff as a starfish, cried Plugs the grocer, who had spent his last holidays at the seaside. I am colder than a skinned eel, added Jakes the barrel man. But my uncle said, Out with you, coward lot of curs! Our kit shall outlive every one of you. The Lord hath not put him in that nest for nothing. Then Sam Henderson pulled off his cloak like the good Samaritan and threw it over me, and taking me by the shoulders with my uncle at the feet, he helped to bear my stiff body back to the road, where they set me upon Harrow with my head upon his mane, and the young man who had jumped into the drift was sent ahead to fetch Dr. Sippets to my uncle's house. End of chapter 24